0: To a Northern Spin Extra podcast. I'm Michael Taylor, and as ever, I'm joined by the Cheeky Chappie from Chorley or the Banter King of Kent, whichever one you prefer. The ever, but either way, the ever so slightly more
1: northern Chris Maguire. Well, Ori Michael, after 10 weeks of (laughs) teaching me. (laughs) Did you really say that? I did, yeah. What I did actually is I actually. Don't ever change your accent. Well, I typed in northern vocabulary and they came up with the word Ori, and then I had to pronounce it phonetically, you know. or eat. now, But what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to actually dispense with uh, your lessons. I'm just going to watch Phoenix Nights on repeat because, you know, uh, we've had such an amazing response uh, to our last podcast in which we discussed Phoenix Nights, And it's fair to say most of which we can't discuss.
0: Sammy, Sammy the snake.
1: <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, no, delighted to be doing this episode of uh, Northern Spin Extra. We've got a lot to discuss.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we're going to have a public sector left after this week,
1: after Jeremy Hunt's Taking his scythe to it, absolutely. Yeah, we're watching this base, uh, watching, watching what he says and listening to what he says with interest. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to do a couple of
0: deep dives on this episode, and there's one thing that's quite current at the moment, which is protest.
1: So. Let's uh, let's have a chat about that. Absolutely. The first one that we want to talk about: is stop the oil, isn't it? Stop the oil. Yeah. Just a quick shout out, as always, um, to our friends at What Media for producing the podcast, and also to Oscar Technology for sponsoring as well. Just like to give them a mention. Yeah. I mean, last week uh, the the news was was a wash with stories of the stop the oil protest which closed the M25 last week. Um, obviously, we're up here in the north, but but those protests made the uh, constant headlines in the Daily Mail and other publications as well, including the uh, the BBC as well. Have you ever taken part in a public protest, Michael. Yeah, loads.
0: Yeah, I was a proper young radical. I think I probably went on my first march when I was about 14. It was a CND march. Uh, I used to get buses down to London regularly for different marches and demos. Um, all of them, I have to say, I think we were all in a righteous cause. I went on a miner's picket line outside and Power Station in 1985. I was part of an occupation of the main admin block at the University of Manchester, in fact you like this i went to interview the late great alan gilbert the former vice chancellor of the university of manchester and he said oh michael i won't do the accent he's australian but he's crocodile gilbert we used to call him and he said um i noticed you're a student at this university but i take it you've never been in this part of the university and i said actually actually i have we occupied your office your yeah. predecessor's office in in 1986 and he went oh
1: why why did you do that what was the cause and i went do you know what i can't remember it was a, uh, well, is there something that you've not campaigned against? Um, well, it's not that. No,
0: we campaigned for things as well and against things. i had a campaign in Marple against an the supermarket being built on the site of the old college, which is which I argued at the time should have been given over for, for houses because I'm always in favour of building more houses. Um, I was also very involved in the Anti-Nazi League and various other anti-racism campaigns against the National Front and the BNP. And if you've watched, and I would urge you to, the TV series on ITV, The Walk-In, that was a real throwback this week, a reminder about what a danger to society the far right are, you know, the neo-Nazi
1: right. But have you ever protested? Well... Yes, I have. I have. Go on. Um, on Saturday. My I, bet wife... you, I bet
0: you've I bet you protested against houses being built near where you no, live No,
1: no, no, I didn't know. On Saturday, <laughs> my wife asked me to put up a flat pack whilst I was watching uh, the football. And I said, no. Um, but no, I, I'm not the same as you, actually. I don't think I'm... And we were speaking about this, uh, probably about episode three or four. Why why haven't I got that protesting gene in me? I haven't. Mm. Um, and I don't know whether or not, you know, all the stuff that happened with the minor strike in 84. I know, I know. Whether or not that had an effect on me, I don't know. But uh, no, the closest I ever came to a protest was actually when I was at the 1999, at your favourite publication, the Daily Mail, and I had to cover some anti-capitalism riots in London. Wow. And it was it's pretty scary, actually, because... What you see with a riot is, is nothing happens for ages and ages and ages. And then what you identify as a core a militant element to it who are only there to cause trouble as well. And then what happens is stuff starts to get thrown. You find yourself as a journalist in the middle of it and saying you're a Daily Mail journalist covering anti-capitalism riots isn't a good move. And you see all these stuff happening and then the police come charging in with their batons and, and their, uh, you know, their riot shields as well. It's pretty scary stuff. Yeah, it um, is. Yeah. And it picked me right off. So I often do comment on
0: an internal narrative, at least anyway, and to people in and around the Labour Party who sort of have a virtue about campaigning. You know, they love the picture of them on a picket line. They love the picture on marches and demonstrations as if that's the kind of the moral high ground about your status as a political campaigner is how many demos you've been on. And yeah, I've done all that stuff, but I I do really regard it as something that I did in the sort of throes of youth. And my my, my usual internal comment is normal people don't do this. Normal people don't think that's good. And that's, that's something that you should do all the time. Yeah. It's right to have passion and, and dedication to a cause, but it's not normal behaviour.
1: See, I, I respect people's right to protest, and actually yeah. I admire it. And you're a man who, um, you're a principal man, you know, so it comes as no surprise that you've taken part in all those demos, because that's what you believed in. In relation to Stop the Oil Protest, what's your view on them?
0: I think obviously they've been hugely disruptive, and I think... I don't like the throwing paint over buildings, even if it is 55 Tufton Street, I can't take any delight in that. I think it debases it. It raises the stakes on the other side of politics as well, because it then makes it acceptable. You know, during lockdown, there was those protests both by Black Lives Matter. And then you'd have the absolute morons from, you know, White Lives Matter and the confecting the outrage about statues and all those sorts of things. And, and it's ugly. And honestly, most people don't like it. We don't want violence on our streets. That's where, that's ultimately where a police state comes from. But if you read, honestly, if you read the, um, some of the legislation that Suella Braverman's trying to push through parliament, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be out of place in Russia or Iran or North Korea. And what's going on there? You know, they're people who are, who are, who are protesting for, you know, it's existential stuff
1: see I was asked what did I think about the oil protests and I've dodged um, the question sorry we'll, no, we'll no, you can have another go no people people see see people ask me about my view on it and, and and my answer might might surprise you as well because I admire people who've who've who are so passionate about a subject yeah. they're willing to protest about it, whether you disagree with it or not, you have to respect their, you know, their right to do it. Um, We are sleepwalking into an environmental disaster. I mean, this Saturday it was 16, 17 degrees and it's November, the whatever date, 12, 13. Um, I think where, where Stop the Oil are losing the public is when they pit people like Indigo Rumbelow, up as a spokesperson on a, on a car crash interview on Sky News. You sent me the link, actually, when she was uh, shouting over Mark Austin, who actually, I thought, did a fantastic view of trying to get her to answer the questions, which she refused to do. But the fact is, is that, and she raised the point about you know, a third of Pakistan was underwater not so long ago. You know, it, the, our climate is completely out of sync. Um, how will history judge stop the all protesters? Well, you the know, thing is,
0: Chris, she's making that point, And as you said, you know, in a very hysterical way, on Sky News, I don't think she came across well. I don't. Th- I, I, I kind of envisaged my parents watching that and just going, "Silly little girl, shut up." She didn't come across well. I think it's wrong to put her in in that situation. It was. It was a terrible interview. But the thing is, Chris, the points that she was making, and you said the same thing yourself, that um, we are driving headlong into an environmental disaster. That was literally the comment by the Secretary General of the United Nations when he was opening the COP. 27 talks in in um, in Egypt. It's not like people don't know that this is happening.
1: I think the court of public opinion right now will reflect very badly on on, on the organisation. You know, stop the oil, it will. But in years to come, when, when the damage to the environment will be, you know, you won't be able to turn back the clock.
0: Yeah, but they I- haven't got a monopoly on that narrative. There are lots of other people making the case for us taking absolutely radical action to decarbonise our economy, Greater Manchester has a commitment to decarbonise Greater Manchester by 2030. Ed Miliband wants to build more nuclear power stations and and cut the the blockage of onshore wind because there's a climate emergency and we have to play our part and also play our part as an international player in talks like COP27 and encouraging other economies to rapidly, rapidly decarbonise for the sake of
1: places like Pakistan being underwater. We've spoken about the environment a lot. Um, and, and there are a lot of protests about the environment but the protest w- that really really caught my eye um, mm-hmm. was the uh, protests in Iran at the death of uh, Marsha, um, um, Marsha Amini the 22 year old who was killed by the uh, well the country's morality police arrested her for not wearing a hijab properly and sporting I think skinny jeans yeah. and then she was in custody and she died and they said she had a cardiac arrest or, or whatever the circumstances were Porn. and the people of Iran the women of Iran and actually a lot of the men of Iran basically said you know we don't believe this and there was pictures of hundreds of thousands of Iranians demonstrating many women took off their hijab. And it was it was that is people power. That, that's that got to change. That's got to change the way Iran operates. Um, and that was an incredibly powerful message. And it didn't have, at least it didn't seem to have from where I'm looking, they didn't descend to the levels of violence and, and, and the sort of protests and the sort of demeaning protests that we're seeing with Stop the Oil. And yet they're getting their message said, across all yeah. over the world.
0: Yeah, well... It's ultimately about change. When, when you are protesting for something and the noise that you make on the streets, if you ever want a clearer example about whether campaigning and marching on the streets of a, of a Western capital city can have any change in any other part of the world, or by your consumer actions, then I always would refer back to apartheid South Africa and the, and the strength and the courage of people in South Africa for standing up to the apartheid regime. And the, and the words of Nelson Mandela, when he was released from prison and he spoke at the anti-apartheid um uh, pr- uh, concert at wembley stadium and thanked people like jerry damas from the specials for continuing you know to make songs like free nelson mandela and and all that and to thank people for marching on the streets as we did it got a bit out of hand and people were like throwing bottles at the South African embassy but,
1: but listen to it was all if, in a day's work if you listen to Nelson Mandela's work if you read what he said when he came out of Robben Island I went there once actually and it was really really thought provoking and deeply emotional as well but if you look at what he said he spoke about conciliation when he came out of Robben Island he spoke about working together he spoke about forgiveness yep. now that's not the language that you're hearing from Stop the Oil they're 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 raison d'etre is is to cause disruption i understand where they're coming from but they're losing the public in the way they're delivering that message
0: yeah i read an amazing book called radicals by a researcher and writer called jamie bartlett who's done a podcast you might have come across called the missing crypto queen and he's done a couple of films on silicon valley as well really interesting thinker and his book radicals he spends time with islamic fundamentalists he spends time with tommy robinson or Stephen Yaxley-Lennon, to give him his proper name, the uh, cocaine-fueled gangster from Bedfordshire, mm. and and what what Jamie's book predicted was this would be the next wave of potential terror attacks in this country. They're going to start blowing stuff up because they are absolutely convinced of their own righteousness, and they can't see why everyone isn't as as kind of fueled up by this as anyone else.
1: I mean, they would and they it, would deny that. They would they would deny that. And hopefully, I mean, they've said they're pitting the protest on the M25. Uh, on hold, which which can only be a good thing, but yeah, I mean, I, but the, the, you know, they're prepared
0: to splash paint all over buildings. They're prepared to drill holes in the in the glass walls of offices. They're prepared to disrupt people. Glue themselves to trains. Where's it going?
1: Where's it going? I don't know, but it's time for a short break. After <laughs> the break, we're going to be talking about uh, Twitter. <laughs> this episode of Northern Spin Extra. As always, I'm joined by Michael. Now, Michael, you've got something that I haven't got. Do you know what it is? Well, it's a very long list, Chris. It is a long list, but a, in this case... A bump case, on the head? No, you have got a bump on the head. Um, I, I've, uh, you've got a blue verification tick on Twitter, which I haven't got. Um, so all power oh, to well. you. All power to you for getting that. But would you be prepared to pay 6 99 a month to keep your tick? No, absolutely not. I really wouldn't. I'm genuinely worried about Twitter
0: under Elon Musk's ownership. It, it's already a real hell site at times, and I've, had, I've been on the wrong end of some terrible, horrible experiences of bullying and pylons. The adverts seem to be getting worse. I mean, Twitter used to be current. You know, you'd go to your own timeline and you'd click on it and you'd get, you know, what's, what's going on right now in the here and now. I keep being reminded of something that happened on Sunday afternoon, which I'm not really particularly happy about.
1: Yeah, I, I, yeah I, you're right. I mean, I, I follow women's football and I get tweets that come up the 30th minute of a match when nothing happened. Um, and it's the algorithms as well. What I'm really worried about with Twitter and social media generally is the misinformation that is commonplace. Yeah. Um, now everyone knows that social media's algorithms are geared and they're skewed in such a way to favour bad news. So yeah. the more negative comments that 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 you post, the more yeah. the more engagement you get. It's outrage. It um, is. It's outrage. As it well, is, it? It's, it's outrage. a conveyor
0: belt of outrage.
1: And it's faux it's faux outrage yeah. uh, raised so many times. We're going to talk about the abuse of uh, our politicians in a minute, but my biggest concern is around fake news. I'll give you an example of this as well, and it sounds like really ridiculous, but but this is an example of what can happen. so I spotted a tweet on Twitter um, from an account called hit follow um, hit follow if you love dogs right because like all of them you know like like, like everyone, we all have a, a nice cute dog picture and this was a photo of a peculiar looking dog in a cupboard in, in, in a cardboard box with a message Today I adopted a dog any suggestions for a name and I looked at that and I thought oh that 's nice and then I noticed how much how long the thread was after it, and I started looking. Uh, at some of the comments on the thread and people were posting the same picture that had been used time and time oh, again no. on previous posts about other dogs as well. Um, so this was an old post and this was an old picture. And that, when I looked at it, had 63,000 likes. <laughs> so the point is, people saw the picture, they liked the message, they liked it without realising what they were looking at was, was fake news. It wasn't real. Now, that's a silly example, but thousands of people post obscenities on Twitter about politicians and sports stars. Yeah. they People like it. They like it. And, and you mentioned earlier the fact that you've been the victim of some... Um, some social media trolls in your time and some victimization on social media. And I did as well. And I did. And you know, the thing that really, really hurt me is that, that people who I respect, I still respect them now, they liked negative comments and negative comments about me that weren't true. And they liked them. They didn't realise they were about me, and they didn't realise they weren't true, yeah. but they liked the comments. And, and that's where people think sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt me. Not true. Absolutely yeah. not true. Now, Elon Musk has spoken about creating a content moderation council, but, but will he stop hate speech? Will he stop the Russian state bots targeting Twitter? I'm not sure. We've got elections coming up, and, and, and Twitter can be the deciding factor in winning elections. It's outrageous,
0: out- it is. outrageous. Yeah, it is. And I think America has become a really polarized society. The recent midterm elections in America is pretty much all about who can get their vote out, not who can be persuaded. People seem to have retreated into their tribes, and I think Twitter really, really bakes that in. I do. I, I stop following people who annoy me. I just I, I don't want it in my life. I need to guard my own mental health, and I don't need it. And I include in that supporters of my own football team, you know, because... Too, just too aggy. It's just no need for it. Now, it used to be the case that Twitter was cool and sassy while Facebook was all, you know, cat videos and your dodgy uncle sharing racist videos and stuff like that and grandma being a bit racist. But I despair about all social media channels now. And probably one of the most harmful ones of all, particularly for young girls, is Instagram because it gives a really false impression. And I, I do the same. I, I, as a little habit, I just put my gym picture in the morning you know at the end of a gym session with the board behind me about the routine i've just done i just do it to remind myself but people say that hey mt living your best life and like that's a glimpse of my life it's
1: not who i am all the time the point you make about instagram spot on it's uh was it molly russell the 14 year old girl yeah and um, if you listen to her dad her dad did this fantastic interview it was on guardian or the times on a podcast that i listen to and if you've only ever got like little snippets of it and you don't really appreciate it all. You don't really, you don't really understand. This was a 14-year-old girl who was super impressionable and that because she looked at websites that that looked at suicide, oh. the algorithms basically targeted her with messages from people, you know, and it, it glorified and glamorised suicide. And she she killed herself. And, and as a 14-year-old and as a parent of two daughters as well, I looked at that and I thought to myself, you know what? Our, our children, especially teenage girls, are under so much pressure at the moment yeah. already. And these social media giants are doing, in my view, they're paying lip service to doing anything about it. Yeah. Meta last week announced massive cutbacks. You know, um, Twitter have announced huge cutbacks, huge staff cutbacks. They're struggling to make the numbers work at the moment uh, because they can see the way they can see the way the way the world is turning against social media. And what it does do as well is it sort of shines a light on what we have got. And, and yeah. institutions like the BBC, indeed. So
0: it's a hundredth birthday of the BBC this week. And though we can be, all be critical, and you and I have been, of our national broadcaster, they do at least provide editorial standards and attempt to always tell the truth. It's not something that our print media and the social health sites can always claim
1: and in times of crisis we do, we do turn to the BBC don't I listen to the T20 uh final where England uh, fantastically beat Pakistan on Sunday as well and Jonathan Agnew who is a legend in my eyes I listened to that commentary and it, the thing is people will be listening to that in years and years to come you right. know according yeah. to Gordon Burns ITN News didn't even mention our World Cup win it's outrageous it's outrageous that comes down to new sense um are you worried about um are you worried about where social media is going in relation to politicians? Yeah, completely, yeah. And the amount of
0: abuse that they get. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I was reminded on Facebook recently that I did an event with Alison McGovern, who's the MP for um, one of the Wirral constituencies, did a picture of us at a, in Blackpool at a Labour Party conference. And um, and I'd, I'd done a piece for a, a Labour-ish website seven years ago, and I said, oh, my God, the comments underneath, and... And she kind of looked and nodded and went, "You read the comments? Yeah. Why? Why would you do that?" And it's almost politicians' default response is don't look at the comments. That they don't, they don't let it enter their tunnel at all. Last week, a guy. And, they, and that's 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 incredible, isn't it? So people go to all that trouble of writing horrendous comments, or or someone might try and add something that's genuinely helpful, but but people aren't reading them because they don't want to expose themselves to that kind of
1: torrent of hate. No, uh, last last week there was a uh, politician called uh, Lord I think it's Lord Jones, uh, Nigel Jones, and he was a former MP of Cheltenham. Now I used to work down at Gloucestershire Co. And uh, he, uh, unfortunately, was the subject of a, a vicious attack I- in his constituency office, and one of his um, parliamentary aides died trying to save his life. Um, I think it was a sword, a samurai sword. Um, it was horrendous. He died last week. A lovely man, Nigel Jones, massive Cheltenham fan as well. And it just got me thinking about the abuse that our politicians receive. And it was Joe Cox murdered in 2016. Yeah. Sir David Amos was murdered in 2021. The BBC uh, analysed almost 3 million tweets where MPs were mentioned over a 12 week period and 5% of them were classed as abusive. Now that's worrying in two respects because 5% of them were classed as abusive. That means 95% of them weren't. But would you as an MP open yourself up to those 95% because of the fear of seeing messages from people who are threatening to rape you or kill your kids? Um, one of the MPs listed as being at the top of the tree for receiving lots of abuse was uh, Labour MP, Warrington North, yeah. uh, Charlotte Nichols, yeah. who incidentally likes the podcast, mentioned it before. She posted about it online. Now, the thing is, she's not, she's not saying that she shouldn't be, you know, be shot at sometimes and she shouldn't be subjected to scrutiny. And she herself would say that she's no shrinking violet, but she posted about this and then got targeted with more abuse. Yeah, And it's just a vicious circle.
0: It's, it does seem to be disproportionately directed towards women who have the courage to speak up. Um, and I, I'm not even gonna pile on with this and analyze what some of the things that Charlotte Nichols has, has said. Um, I do. I think women get a particularly rough ride in public life, be they journalists like Laura Koonsberg or Emily Maitlis, or be it politicians like you know Jess Phillips, or even you know someone like Nadine Dorries, who I don't have much truck with. But again, she the, the left were particularly vicious with some of the uh, some of the things they'd say about her.
1: Yeah, I think so she, she
0: did actually <laughs> quite often try to try to wind people up.
1: I, I think when we do this podcast, Northern Spin, we try and be fair and impartial, as, far, as fair and impartial as we can be. And yeah, and decent. But we try to avoid personal, you know, personal insults. That doesn't get you anywhere. Um, but we are on the cusp of the... Uh, it reminds me of the com- comment
0: by, by, by Ron Atkinson. Who, not, not, not his racist. No, one. no, no, no. Or it said, "I'm not. I don't comment on referees, so I'm not going to start with that idiot today."
1: <laughs> now, that's what we need. We need, we need more referees. Like we need more, uh, you know, football managers like that. Um, okay, talking about football. Obviously, it's the um, World Cup's about to kick off. I think uh, it's kicking off on Sunday, isn't it? Uh, November the twentieth in Qatar. Obviously, it's had lots of attention for all the wrong reasons as well. I think it's strange because I was watching the Man City Brentford game on Sunday. And I'm thinking, on Saturday rather, and I'm thinking, hang on a minute, the World Cup starts in a week and I'm watching a Premier League game today. And I think, how are we possibly getting our players in the best, you know, in the best position and, and the best fitness to be able to compete in 40 degree heat in Qatar? That's another discussion entirely. But will you be watching the World Cup when it kicks off on Sunday?
0: Do you know what, Chris? So far, I'm going to say no. My enthusiasm for football is pretty depleted at the moment. And... Um... And again, the whole human rights thing about it being in Qatar, the whole corruption thing about where it's being based, I've got very little enthusiasm for it. But the only time my, my interest in it gets peaked is mentioning about the heroism of the Wales team we've got there and the whole sort of narrative around that's interesting. With the first World Cup since 1958, my dad being a Wales football fan who used to take me to games at Wrexham when they used to play there. There's a smidgen of interest there but not much.
1: Yeah, I, like I say, I think it's it's for it's for England to try to excite us because at the moment, I mean, you know, normally when you see a World Cup in the summer, everyone's got the bunting out, they've got the flags on the car, they've got the flags, you know, everyone's talking about it. Literally no one's talking about it because it's uh, a week away. Um, I know, and you're properly, uh, proper Debbie Downer today because uh, obviously the weekend's football result where Blackburn got tonked 3-0 by Burnley. And uh, I'm not even going to make a joke about it because you're still upset by it. But um, yeah, I wish Gareth Southgate well. wish the Wales football team Every success as well. I don't think either of those will be uh, at the business end of the World Cup, if I'm being brutally honest. Um, but we'll see. I think there's a good chance they both might qualify. Especially Do you know, England. in
0: normal circumstances, if you and I were recording this, we'd be talking about which which group is the group of death yeah, and all things like that. But I, I couldn't even tell you who's in what groups, apart from the one that England, Wales, Iran and USA are in a group together. The rest of it, I've, honestly, it's all passed me by.
1: Yeah, well, on that upbeat note, Michael, (laughs) uh, that's the end of this episode of Northern Spin Extra.
0: Yeah, it's been a Northern Spin Extra. We're now on Apple Podcasts. Please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends, your family, your foes to give it a listen. Thanks once again to What Media for recording this podcast, to James for dipping his alchemy all over this,
1: and to our sponsors, Oscar Technology. And to, uh, to Elliot Taylor for providing the music. This has been Northern Spin. My name, as always, is Chris McGuire. And I'm Michael Taylor.